Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Our guest today is Cassandra Snow, co-author of Lessons from the Empress, a tarot workbook for self-care and creative growth which will be published this coming Saturday, October 1st, by Wiser Books. Cassandra is now a three-time Wiser author, having previously penned Queering the Tarot and Queering Your Craft, Witchcraft from the Margins. Professionally, Cassandra is a tarot reader and teacher who has taught students how to read cards in their own unique, personalized way, everywhere from college campuses to burlesque studios. In their other life, Cassandra makes theater happen, dabbles in storytelling and obsesses over tabletop role-playing games, goes hiking, and devours books and movies. You can find out more about them at cassandra-snow.com or by following them on Instagram at mx.cassandra.snow. Cassandra, welcome back to In Search of Tarot. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. I love being here. I'm thrilled to have you back and it's been so special to bring everybody back this season. So that's so cool. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, to kind of help us drop in, you know, to this conversation, I would love to, for you to kind of root us in your present moment by sort of describing who you are and where you are and anything that feels relevant to your life in this present moment. Absolutely. So if you didn't listen the first go round, I'm Cassandra, they, them, I am a professional tarot reader and teacher, as well as an author, as well as a theater artist. Um, it's actually a really interesting point to have me back because I feel like the first go round, I was pretty sure of who I was and who I was in tarot. And right now I'm pretty sure of those things, but the pandemic and living my life mostly online did kind of a number on me where I was listening to, I think, too many other people's viewpoints. And I think I want to be very clear that it's important that as people, we do that. <laughs> but it was being done in a way that I think I was really diminishing myself in a lot of ways. And then when stuff like that happens, a bunch of stuff went down on online witchcraft community. And I wasn't super connected to anyone that a bunch of stuff happened with, but I kind of came out of watching all of that almost going back to basics in a way and sort of re-falling in love with tarot, re-falling in love with witchcraft. I think I stayed in love with art and writing, but it was, it's very hard to be an artist when you're not sure how you feel about anything. <laughs> so um, I'm coming to you now sort of resettled in that and just excited to share these things that have meant so much to me with the world and as a tarotist, I think it's really important to me moving forward. And especially when we talk about my most recent book that's coming out, um, using it as a way to find, and I would say maintain your voice. I think that that, what I went through in the pandemic, A, happened to a lot of people in the pandemic and B, is actually important. So you come out the other side and have that voice again. 
So I don't even really regret it, but I'm happy that this is where I am as this third book is released. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I feel that too. I mean, I feel like I went through that as well. So thank you yeah. for, for sharing that. And actually, it's funny, I had not realized that. Is this your third book? This is my third book. So how appropriate that your third book is about the Empress, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to talk about that book today. We're going to talk about um, Lessons from the Empress, a tarot workbook for self-care and creative growth that you have co-written with Siri Vincent Pluff, um, and which is being released this coming Saturday, October 1st by Wiser Books. Um, and in the introduction to this book, you write very lovingly about the Empress card. Um, and you yeah. say that it's a card that marginalized people often connect, you know, really strongly with. And I have to say that I was a little bit surprised when I read that because I hear, I don't necessarily feel this myself, but I hear a lot of people talk about having some difficulty around the Empress, you know, um, definitely we talk, we hear people talk about having problems with the emperor, but I also hear people having problems with the Empress as well. So I'm curious to hear, you know, what your relationship with this card has been and why, you know, what made you want to write this book? And if your relationship with the card I'm sure it transformed over the course of writing the book as well. So just kind of talk about all of that. Yeah. So I do say that in the book, and I also know that it's also a more difficult card for a lot of people because of how gender is assumed in general in tarot, but especially with cards that seemingly have a gender ascribed to them. And I also know, I hear from people, it is a card that many tarot books will tell you deal with motherhood and mom issues and in marginalized communities, especially queer communities. That is a pretty touchy subject. I yeah. think I learned the cards. I don't think I've ever actually talked about this piece of my story, but I the first deck I found that really felt like mine and it really felt like oh this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life this is not just something that is fun to do at parties was the spiral tarot which does talk about those things but it approaches them from like a Celtic mysticism way and a lot of ways that still hold up I think that a lot of people in that community of witchcraft myself included are really reassessing what we were letting pass as that before um but a lot of stuff from that deck still holds up. And so um, the basic premise of that deck is in several, not all, but Celtic belief systems, the Celtic spiral kind of shows where you are on your life journey. And because it's just a spiral, it doesn't have a lot of the other stuff that we sometimes put on what journeys are supposed to be. Like it's completely ours and it just shows us where we are. And so because of that, I learned a lot of this kind of differently anyway, um, because yes, I was reading the same books everyone else was, but I was approaching it with a book, got a, well, I was approaching it with a deck that had a little white book that was very different in a lot of ways and approached it from like my faith first and my story first. Mm. Um, because of that, I really was linked into the empress as creativity and I think as an artist and to be clear I'm not a visual artist at all but I have some connection to that world when I was an art critic I studied to do visual art as well 
Um, and I had a little art gallery for a while where we showed visual art. So I, I don't know nothing. And when we were, um, or when I was always looking at the Empress, what stood out to me was someone very secure in who they were, very secure in their surroundings. And in a way that felt very aspirational to me for a long time. And then when I started really, but in a way that was aspirational, that wasn't just like, I was told this is where I should be. Mm -hmm. um, but then once I started actually working with the cards a lot more, it regularly showed up when I was feeling disconnected from writing, from art, from story, but also from confidence in my own competencies. And so for me, it really, I also think people talk about it as like, oh, the empress can be nurturing to anyone. But to me, for a long time, the card showed up kind of as a kick in the pants. Like, <laughs> remember who you are. <laughs> like, remember that you actually know things and know what you're doing. And I actually think that really happened in the pandemic too, when I was sharing that from earlier. All of that being said, we actually kind of went in sideways to get to the Empress. Uh, what happened with this book was, I didn't really know what my next book project was gonna be. Queering the Craft was a little more successful than I anticipated. I guess I didn't have the expectation of what having two books out would do for me. Mm -hmm. and with Queering the Tarot, everyone kind of took it as it was. But with Queering Your Craft, I started getting asked, what's your next book? And I was like, I, my what? <laughs> and I knew that I wanted to write forever, but I didn't have an idea of what that was, you know, what was next. So Siri and I needed to make money and had time and energy in the early stages of the pandemic. And we both care deeply about our students, about uh, tarot community and about creativity and creative community. So we put together a class that was creating in weird times, uh, weird with the why. Mm -hmm. um, and we wrote ridiculous worksheets. They, they were, if I went to a class and they sent me a 25 page worksheet, I would be like, what the heck? And yet that's <laughs> what we did for like every session. And so then I was like, well, hey, what if we rewrote this and pitched it to Wiser? So they readily agreed and we started doing that. We pitched it as a book purely about creativity, but self-care is really popular right now. And I am big on, and there was a lot already in the book about how everyone should be creative. Everyone should practice creativity. Like it is a core part of who we are. Mm -hmm. um, it is not. And when we deny that, we're denying part of who we are. And so they wanted to really focus on that. Um, and so it really was rewritten several times. First is just a guidebook to classes about creativity and tarot. And then um, more of a book form of that. And then eventually became what it is. So Gotcha. And did you, you and Siri's view of the Empress card align already immediately? Or, you know, are there differences in the way you view it? Or how is that? There were there were differences in the way we view it. I think that they ended up being really complimentary, which was nice. Like they, the way we each viewed the Empress worked well, especially through the guise of self-care and creativity through self-care. I think that it went hand in hand nicely. I do think that we were able to both retain our own vision while presenting 
both in a way that looks cohesive and it might look like oh you both thought this and that's not really what happened but, mm-hmm. and I think both of our visions of the Empress changed we just did an interview where Siri talked about how they weren't expecting this but working with the Empress freed them from a lot of judgments that they held about other people and I don't want to repeat too much of that because that's their story But I thought that was really interesting and cool that that came up. And I know for me, we always think when we are working through things and when we are growing through things and coming out the other side of things that we're going to be so different. And this time it was like the Empress being like, what if who you were this whole time was good and you just needed to find it again? Yeah. (laughs) And so what if you don't need to change? Like, sure, grow up, but like... Yeah, that's, I love that. I mean, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, So there's a quote early on in this book from you that I, um, I want to have you expand on a little bit or just kind of speak on because I think it's really powerful. Um, So I'm just going to quote this section. So you say, this very book is an act of creation. We've seen how the world changes by mere representation, finding existing creative work that reflects who we are, using that to root and thrive as our very selves. These are beautiful empress acts of self-care. So sort of what you we know we're just speaking to. Imagine how powerful that change can be when people are actively giving space to queer, BIPOC, and disabled creators. So yeah, I mean, that is a beautiful, powerful view of the empress that I, I have not necessarily looked at in exactly that way. You know, will you Um, kind of speak about that a little bit? Yeah. I think one thing for me, as I was writing that just kept coming up was this idea that all of the stuff that we see in the empress garden, they really did that themselves. They really created that themselves. Mm. And because I'm always thinking of community and my friends, uh, who are all different identities, you know, I, and I was thinking about how much we all have created and how much we have all made. And of course, as people who don't have consistent access to resources that people in the mainstream might, those stories and those points of view are so different and so unique and so beautiful. And I think we're at a point in any kind of art creation storytelling where if we want something new, we just have to turn it over to people who haven't had that opportunity before. There's not really, there's not another solution. And we've seen that over and over again. And then I also do see the Empress as someone who creates a lot of space for themselves. And so I was thinking about just kind of space giving in general too. Thinking about how I know I've struggled with this, um, especially running the theater company that I do, but as someone who for all of my own marginalization still very much has white privilege and still very much wants to be an ally to BIPOC and the way my own theater company started to shift was we were really trying to find money to hire directors who were not white, playwrights who were not white, bring on co-producers, etc. Because it really, I think we're reaching a point where giving that space when you have it to give is the only solution Mm -hmm. to a lot of problems. 
Yeah. So we made all of this space for ourselves, but then we felt like we didn't necessarily need it. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't even necessarily right anymore in the community that we're in. Right. Yeah. Something I was thinking about today um, with this book, I, I came across an article on LitHub that was titled Five Writers on How Writing with Creative Constraints Unlocked Their Projects. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about, you know, the dichotomy of emperor empress um you know something that i've thought about before with the emperor is that it is that kind of container that can sometimes actually spur more creativity than just like complete freedom you know yeah. and in a way what you're speaking about with um sort of the discovery of self i guess also makes me think about that you know not to say that it's good that we have you know, judgments or boundaries on who we can be. That's not at all what I'm saying, but you know, that within those constraints and within, uh, you know, a society that really, you know, marginalizes you and, and sort of doesn't understand you, sometimes you are forced to be more creative, you know, yeah. in, how, in how you express yourself and how you make yourself seen or tell your stories or just survive. I mean, just being creative with survival, you know, I mean, do you have anything, does that bring anything to mind for you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I have much to add to it, but I think it's a really beautiful, you know, piece of the conversation that we're having. And I think one of the things I really love that Siri did to shake up the quote unquote fool's journey a little bit, because the majors chapter was mostly them, um, was they took us on an empress journey instead. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that what I wanted that to do, I can't speak for them writing it, but what I wanted it to do as collaborator and the reason I was so excited about it was because I wanted people to, sure, take that, learn all of the beautiful things from Siri's mind that come from that, and then take the card that they identify with the most and walk it through that same journey to end, see where they end up and see what they get out of it. That has also really been on my mind lately with tarot in general is the usefulness of using a really specific kind of tight lens on the way that you're, in, you know, using the cards. Yeah. Because sometimes like, you know, the, the sort of endless expansion and possibility of tarot, which is what makes it amazing, is also kind of overwhelming, you know, yeah. and, and I've been thinking a lot about that, about like, you know, maybe when you sit down with your cards, maybe you can really first ask yourself, like, what is the lens through which I want to use these cards right now, you know, um, because there's many ways you could do it and, um, and let that kind of guide your interpretation. So, you know, with you, like with this book, um, using this lens of the Empress, what discoveries did you make, you know, with, with cards? Yeah, I, so actually writing about tarot from specific lenses is one of my favorite things to do. Um, and not necessarily even in like a deep or liberatory way or anything. I frankly just think it's fun. And I frankly just think it's like, I don't know, like just kind of a thought um, game with myself sometimes. Mm -hmm. like. Um, what would this be like? Uh, so in doing what I do, what I absolutely do not want to do in my life, and you and I have talked about this in the DMs at least, is <laughs> what I absolutely do not want to do is write the same tarot book that, while I like this tarot book, has been written 150 times in the past four years. And mm -hmm. so for me as an author and a tarot author, 
the only viable solution is to put those hyper-specific lenses on it. Mm-hmm. But I talk about this in the book too. I think this made it through edits. I haven't reread it since I got the hard copy, but I went to one of the very few nerd cons. I think they only did two or three. Um, but I went and I watched the cast of Night Vale talk about storytelling and how they did what they did in a panel. And one of the things they kept hammering home was that actually the more specific you make something, even though we don't fully understand this, like the more universal it becomes. And so much of all of my work with tarot and writing in general is giving people permission um, that I shouldn't have to give, but I also know what a life of restriction is like. Um, but it was like hearing that gave myself permission to actually write about things from the specific point of views that I had. Mm-hmm. And one of those was as an artist and as someone who has always used the cards for creative purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Um, so now we're going to talk about an equation yes. <laughs> that, uh, that I loved, you know, but it's surprising to see a math equation in a tarot book, but, um, this is great. So it's the self-care equation and, um, I'll actually let you kind of explain it. Really what happened was I was trying to say a lot of things that, and this is sort of a, like, I have like bona fide diagnosed ADHD, but there, and there's like a legit thing that happens where in my brain something seems really like duh and obvious and easy but when I try to explain it verbally or writing it it's just a big mess and it doesn't make sense and that was happening when I tried to boil down like all of the principles of this book because it it can be a little bit dense into something that was really streamlined and easy and I couldn't do it and I don't talk about it a lot although people who follow me super closely probably know like as much as I talk about art and story and stuff, I'm also a numbers nerd and a math nerd. I think it's really fun. One of the Wordle games I play every night is like trying to solve an equation in six tries or trying to create and solve the equation in six tries. And so something just clicked and I was like, what about trying math? So in parentheses, it's imagination plus reflection plus expression and then out of parentheses, minus judgment of self, and that equals creativity slash self-care. Um, and so the more complicated way of what I was trying to get with creativity slash self-care is the type of creativity that is a vital form of self-care, um, but that is a complicated end to an equation. So um, yeah, and then with any equation, you wanna do the part in parentheses first, And so that is adding what you imagine, what happens after you think and reflect on that for a little bit, and then the specific flavor or medium or style of how you want to express that. But then to really get to creativity, most of us living in society do have to work to remove the judgment of self, which is the hardest part until we were writing it and we realized that's the piece that fit with the pentacles really nicely. And I have like an innate relationship with the pentacle suit and so that actually was when I was like oh they are leading me away from this and so that made even releasing my own self-judgment about my parts of this book a whole lot easier yeah when you think about the empress do you at all think about the empress as like a leader of people 
Um, you know, or do you think of it sort of in that public role sense? And the reason I'm asking is, as you talk about creativity, you know, because I'm an artist myself, another big piece of that and barrier to that is caring what people will think, you know, how it will be received. So, you know, how does that tie in with Empress energy for you, if at all? That's a really good question. And I think that I personally have never experienced the empress in my life as like a leader or a super public facing thing or entity side of self, whatever you want to call it. And yet I do know that that piece is there. And I take a lot of writing classes now. I won't say a lot. I take some writing classes now. And one of the things that is frequently hammered home is that you have to write what a lot of writers call like the mom draft, which is the draft your mother will never see as long as you both live. (laughs) And then you move it away from that because you start worrying about the public persona. And the Empress to me has been so generative that I just think about really what is gained in those edits and less what is lost. Like I feel like other cards fill that niche. Um, and instead I think about, well, when you edit though, you're also editing out a lot of navel gazing. And I'm saying that as someone who loves navel gazing writing, that is not a judgment at all, but you're (laughs) editing out a lot of, um, that, and it does ultimately make it stronger, even if that is still the focus of the piece. So a long-winded way to say that hasn't really been my journey with the Empress. I do think that it will be for a lot of people. And I think when I talked before about the Empress leading me back to confidence in my own competencies, that is, I think, a lot of what that piece is. Because if you are a leader, if you are going to be speaking in front of people, if you are showing your art to the world, um, that is a confidence that you need to have, (laughs) just point blank. At the same time, because I know that so much of confidence about art in a public arena is fake it till you make it. I think I've just always seen that side of the Empress too. Like there's a reason that in terms of people, they are like alone in this garden with their plants kind of decompressing and just creating. It's not until they venture outward or we venture towards other cards that we really see the effect that it has on other people or that they have on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes me think of um, Twyla Tharp, I believe I've heard never sees any other dance ever, Um, you know, only creates her own dance and doesn't want any other, you know, distractions or influences. Um, So speaking of the Empress, like being alone in their garden, you know, kind of maybe keeping all that away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I have a completely different viewpoint as an artist, but I mm. also was a theater person. And if you go to theater school <laughs> at any point, you're going to at least be taught the Stanislavski method, which d- does have a, the actual Stanislavski method does have a big focus on like, no, you need to use your days off to go see other shows and do other things. And what are you going to make? art about if you don't know what is happening. I think that what Twyla says is extremely valid. Um, I also think that method is extremely valid. And then I know that we both read a fair amount of Julia Cameron and I like the way that she describes art dates as anything that interests you or stokes that for you. Mm -hmm, But it's mm -hmm. a good kind of middle ground. It doesn't necessarily have to be connected to 
the art you are doing or not. Right. Yeah. Um, so another thing I love in the book is you have these grids um, that people can write, you know, in. And that's something that I've kind of hungered for for a while now is uh, a space in a book like this to make my own interpretations, you know. Yeah. Um, and so what you do is you kind of you have the card in one column and then in the next column you have some keywords, um, which, you know, were those sourced from any particular place or were they just kind of like your own what you've heard over the years? For me, the ones that I wrote for the suits that I worked on, they were ones that show up a number of different times or ones that students went like have what I know that you teach this way as well when I like lead students to think about the cards and what they mean to them through barely guided reflection on the cards themselves a lot of the ones I wrote were ones that I have heard students say over and over again even if I haven't necessarily read them in a book or something mm -hmm. and I think that's so interesting because how when we really teach people how to read a card without putting our own stuff on it um it is interesting how sometimes they come up with totally new unique completely liberatory things but then there are some that seem to have like a spiritual truth or something that people still just get led right back to there and so I think that that's I don't know that's a little bit of a tangent but I think it's neat and that's where a lot of it comes from and then a lot of it is if you like google a card like they're common enough interpretations that you hear that if you just like google a card that's what would pop up yeah i mean i want to i want to pull you back to what you were just talking about with people happening to say you know similar things because that's that's very interesting and and um yeah i guess it makes me wonder like how do you how do you feel about the balance point between you know the card can mean literally whatever um, anyone wants it to mean, but also the sort of history of what a lot of people have felt it meant. Um, and, you know, is it important to honor that? Like, like, how do you sit in that, in that place? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm always all over the place with that. So how do you, how do you feel about it? <laughs> I have several minds about it too, to be honest. I, don't know that I would have the career and the life and the writing career that I have if I had at no point studied other people's books on the cards at all. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that's the only way. And I've always been a firm believer in that. I think the official conclusion I have come to is that there are many different ends to tarot and there are many different ways to develop further and to go really deep with the cards. I think as long as you are being true to your own voice, as long as it all makes sense to you, as long as you are getting answers that feel right, you know are right as you're pulling, essentially as long as you're taking time and being intentional and thoughtful, I think that can look a bunch of different ways. I have seen readers who gave me some of the best readings of my life that I don't think looked at the cards once. They laid them out and then just talked to me. What a, I would love to have that skill and I would love to have, to have the confidence to use that skill. <laughs> I currently do not. Um, but I also have gone and gotten really good readings with people who gave me a reading that are basically what I could have like pulled out of any book, but it was still a good reading and what I needed at the time. And so 
even that personal experience is like, there's definitely not a wrong way other than just literally making it up in a way that is not actually attached to reading it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want everyone that's listening to know that you are a spectacular reader. I, I oh, have, thank you. I've, I've been lucky enough to have a reading from you and you're fantastic. Yeah, everyone should have a reading with you. And I have studied the cards when I say that. I don't just mean I've studied other people's books and stuff, but I really have looked at every card in every deck that I use regularly. And I think another sort of conclusion I've come to is that if you know what you're looking for in a card, you don't necessarily need a book. Um, and that's where we get a lot of these unique ways. You've posted about some of them from your own students and stuff um, that I think are really cool. But my own system is kind of rigorous. So I'm glad because it is really going through and answering these questions for myself and then looking at the book and then trying to, and then maybe looking at a couple other books and then kind of figuring out what makes sense from there. That's also not an expectation I have on anyone who is learning tarot. If you enjoy hearing conversations like this one, please consider supporting In Search of Tarot by becoming a member of our Patreon community. There you'll receive weekly mystic missives discussing any number of philosophical, tarological concepts, along with discounts to upcoming classes and workshops, and invitations to attend our monthly tarot hangs on Zoom. The financial support we receive through Patreon is the only way that we're able to pay our incredible guests who join us week after week to share their knowledge and life stories with all of you. We are so appreciative of our existing patrons' generous support, and we invite you to join them at patreon.com slash in search of tarot. So I think my very favorite part of this book actually comes at the very end. Um, and this is something that I've always liked of yours because it reminds me a lot of your blog, you know, when you, when you did a lot of your blog work. Um, and I think we actually talked a little bit about one of these um, when you were last on the show. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you give at the end, you, there's a section that you share some creative approaches with the cards. And I wondered if you have a favorite of those approaches that you might like to kind of talk about. Yeah, so I probably use tarotry principles the most, and I only include it, or I shouldn't say principles, but technique. Part of the reason I like them so much is because I am not a poet by trade at all. I am a bad poet on purpose. Like it is just something I do for emotional and creative processing and fulfillment. Um, and so using tarot cards in that way just gets me thinking about that in a different way. So I included just some fun, silly ones that are based on different styles of poetry. But I think my favorite for actual like usable creation that I would like use in my own writing or theater work actually came from Siri. And that was the magic questions, which is the example that I'm looking at is instead of asking what kind of family does my main character have, you can ask questions like, what is the most supportive family my main character could have or interesting family? So you're trying to pull out what are the most important ways for this family to be um, and actually putting words on that. And of course you can do it with your tarot cards. If you don't know what the most supportive your family can, a family in your book song play can have, you can pull a card and see. And I just really like 
playing with that. And I think it's really fun for brainstorming and getting to know your cards as well as um, I think very usable for actually creating art. Yeah. Um, and then you and I share a theater background and uh, will you talk about the stage cards? Will you tell people about that? Yeah, my mind was kind of, I actually only read about stage cards a few years ago. I've been reading tarot since I was 18 and I'm 37 now. And this is based on Rider Waite Smith stuff because this was a Pamela Coleman Smith thing, but she was a theater artist herself. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like a lore or a theory that a lot of the cards were designed to look like and it's people performing on a stage. And whether that was intentional or true or not, I do think in some of the original RWS cards, it's maybe a little bit undeniable, but in some of the ones that are listed, I'm like, I see why people think that, but is it? But I certainly think it's fun to play with and experiment. And like, what does it mean that this action is taking place on a stage? What does it mean that this potential breakthrough that a card can bring you to is happening on a stage? Mm -hmm. I wrote a little bit in the book about playing with that as well. Yeah, yeah, I really liked that. Um, so you kind of touched on this earlier, but um, I'm just wondering, you know, in the overall canon of tarot literature that does exist out there, you know, what are you hoping to fill? What need are you hoping to fill with this book? And what are you kind of hoping people will take away? I did write it to have a wide range of audience in, turn of, in terms of beginner to advanced reader. Um, now questionable if I actually even really believe in like an advanced reader, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think my goals were a little bit different for each level. Like I think for intermediates and beyond, um, I wanted people to really get in touch with their creativity to really find new things in the cards through some of the prompts and exercises that we have in here. Um, and some of it may not even be tarot related, but some of it might be, and all of it can help your practice if you want it to. But for total tarot newbies, I wanted an approach that was friendly and informative, but also showed how much you can learn about the cards by really just using your own creative skill set, including if you don't even know you have a creative skill set, because the book hopefully helps you find one. Um... I think our both Siri and I were really on the same page that our overall mission with the book is that creativity is a vital part of who every single one of us is. And we live in a society, most of us, where that's really not rewarded societally. If you're not gonna make money off of it and you're not a child, it's really discouraged a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the many ways that we get cut off from ourselves. I think it's one of the many ways that our voice is taken from us. And I honestly, you know, on my most conspiracy theory days, I think that's the point. Most of the time, I think it's incidental, but it is what happens. And so for that, I want everyone to come into this understanding creativity as a form of self-care as something that needs to be nurtured in all of us and the tarot piece is just that's the tool that and these really simple beautiful ritual Siri wrote is really the tool that can open that door for you and unlock that for you and it's something that Siri and I both knew you did an amazing job it's a really great book and I, you you struck such a great balance with this book I think of um it being 
it having like practical applications and, you know, suggested like questions and kind of being interactive without being too much like that. You know, it also has yeah. a lot of, a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of um, just thoughtfulness. Um, and, and cause I, I don't like it when books go kind of too far in either direction. And, and I think yeah. you, you really struck like a really good balance um, with that, you know? So thank you. yeah, absolutely. Um, so as a way to kind of celebrate this fifth season of the show, um, I have come up with a question that I'm asking every guest this season um, with, with the show being called in search of tarot. Yeah. I'm wondering <laughs> if you'll tell me what you are searching for right now. I think through the lens of tarot, I am, I mean, you know me, I'm not good about lying about who I am or what I'm thinking about, even if it's like, quote unquote, not professional or whatever. And I think what I'm in search of in my life that I think tarot can help me with to kind of pull it back is I don't want to just say how to be okay, because it's okay to be sad, like that's fine. But I have a lot of really beautiful things and relationships like I, I have so many once in a lifetime friendships and I have so many of them and so I'm thinking I'm in search of like how what if that never happens for me how can I be okay with that and it's something that I'm really leaning on the cards for mm-hmm. and it's not like I'm giving up if any listeners want to shoot their shot but like <laughs> it's not like I'm giving up but I don't want to always be searching for something that I know people don't always find And I don't want to get into the other side that people get into, which is, I think, not appreciating the really potent, powerful relationships that they have because they don't look like the romantic relationships on TV or in movies or whatever. And so I think right now I am just really leaning on my cards to help me be okay with however the dust is going to settle if it ever does. And I think that tarot has taught me how to be okay with a lot of things in a way that actually did push me into what I wanted. I think I had to unlearn a lot of internalized consumerism, et cetera, about success and what that was going to look like. And then I started being more successful by anyone's definition, you know, and it's not like I want to learn it to get it because that's also not the point, (laughs) but I think when you, if you are able to create a sense of peace, it does help a lot. And so I guess peace is my eternal answer. (laughs) Um, And something that, again, I am always leaning on the cards for. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that honesty and and for sharing all of that. So this book, like I said, comes out on Saturday and tell everybody how they can buy it, how they can work with you, how they can get a reading from you. Everyone needs to get a reading from you. Um, Just share. Yeah. Share, share anything you want to share about how people can find you. Absolutely. So all of my stuff is easily triaged through my Instagram, which is mix.cassandra.snow. That's mx.cassandra.snow or my website, which is cassandra-snow.com. The website is where you can find further links to buy my book, but I'll talk books. I'll talk more about that in a second, as well as how to get a reading. Um, I do have a link tree on Instagram, though, that has all of that as well. Um, You can support me and my writing on Patreon at patreon.com slash Cassandra Snow, 
One of the things we haven't really talked about, I'm also doing some chapters of the Fat Folks Tarot Guidebook. Mm. And I do have permission from them. Patreon is going to be the only way to get some sneak peeks. And that's a very um, exciting project that I was so honored to be asked to do that. So, and then there's also like a bunch of other cool stuff on my Patreon. (laughs) And then the other thing is the book, uh, Lessons from the Empress, a tarot workbook for self-care and creative growth. Um, You can buy it really anywhere. You can buy books. You can buy Queering the Tarot or Queering Your Craft anywhere that you can buy books. You can um, use my bookshop.org link. People often ask what helps the most. And my answers right now are twofold. One is pre-orders. That kind of sets the tone for how well the book is going to do. It also means we can pay off our advance quicker. If you like to listen to boring publishing speak, know that that is what you're helping. And that means we get paid more money for the book faster. Um, So pre-order from anywhere at all. That being said, I do have bookshop.org slash shop. Bookshop.org slash shop slash Cassandra Snow. And I have a little bookshop set up there. I It's an affiliate link, which means I get a little kickback from bookshop if you order through that. Great. That's good to know. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I want to just close by saying, Cassandra, I hope you know that you, you have really paved the way and really opened the door for a lot of people like in this community. I really just want to say that I was just talking about that with someone else. And, you know, I hope that you're able to really hold that and know that about yourself. And a lot of us are really grateful to you. So thank Thank you. you. I am very grateful to you. This is such a beautiful space. And I, yours is probably, I don't, we, we have a lot of mutual friends. I was about to be like, yours is probably my favorite tarot Instagram account. (laughs) It's always making me think about stuff. Um, I will say I have lots of favorites. Yeah. Yours is one of them. (laughs) I will, I will take that. I will be on that list. Um, All right. Well, thank you for this conversation. You're so welcome. In Search of Tarot is independently written, recorded, edited, and transcribed by Nick Kepley and Angie Miller. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore. And you can follow me, Nick, on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Have a question or a comment? Email us at isotpod at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.